Welcome to the Landmark Apostolic Church Podcast. We hope that this message inspires you and brings impact to your life. Enjoy the message. Go with me to the book of Genesis. Uh, we're going to be in the book of Genesis, and that's awesome because it's the easiest book in the Bible to find. Somebody said amen. <laughs> Genesis chapter 15. And uh, I'll begin reading at verse number one. This is a very familiar portion of Scripture um, in the story of Abram in the Old Testament is one that a lot of us know uh, very well. And if you don't, hearing it for the first time this morning, that's all right. Genesis 15, verse 1 says, After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Don't be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And verse 6 says that Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. He counted it as righteousness. Amen. I, I want to talk to you just for the next little bit from, from this title, one word title, outside. Everybody say outside. Amen. If you help me this morning, you may be seated in Jesus' name. The Lord bless you. Amen. I was just a few seconds ago referencing the storm, the snowstorm that we were all thinking about getting um, this weekend. And uh, we were, we, our, our family was excited. Snow has kind of become foreign to Southern Illinois. It's not something that is a very common thing that you get every single year. And so you're grateful for whatever you do get. It was hilarious because we were just, as we were getting ready uh, yesterday to go outside, it was a race against the snow melting, trying to get out there and enjoy it before the snow uh, would melt. Now, my boys, I'm going to tell on them just a little bit uh, this morning. The The great thing about having children is that you have a lot of material as a preacher. So that's the one positive. The, the negative is that it's difficult. Having children is difficult. So, right? And so uh, the boys, we were talking to them about the snow. It was hilarious because we they, they were just talking about this giant snow, and me and Mal were like, we, we don't have anything. We don't have sleds. We don't have boots. We don't have we don't have winter clothes. Like, we can't just send them out there in some joggers with, you know, just a hoodie on or something like that and their tennis shoes. And so we were, we were planning on, like, we were looking for some sleds a few days ago. We were looking for all of this equipment. I literally believe God kept me from all that stuff because I couldn't find it anywhere. Maybe the retail stores were in on the weather and the shift and all that stuff that was going to go on. But uh, most of you are, are aware that that I'm a fan of technology. I, I, I really do uh, like technology, but I didn't really realize that once I introduced my kids to an iPad, 
I didn't understand that there would be a daily negotiation that went on in our house. I didn't quite understand that. Now, I, I do realize it's probably a seasonal thing because, truth be told, my kids do love to be outside. They love to go and play outside. So I think this is just a winter thing. But every single day, there seems to be this negotiation that takes place. Like, hey, if I do this, can I play a game? If Can I get on there and, and watch a, a little cartoon episode? Can And there's this, like, negotiation that now I know again it's more of this time of year because they love to play outside but in the winter especially if there is snow I feel like I feel like they've had their fair share of screen time this season if I'm being honest so yesterday going outside to play in the snow the boys uh we we we're like they're like dad get ready you got to get ready and I'm like like Guys, honestly, by the time I got ready, if you went outside right now, I feel like you'd probably be inside by the time that I got my boots on and got all my gear on. And so they were like, you got to get ready. And they didn't want to go outside by themselves. So finally got ourselves all ready. We go out there. And I kid you not, the boys were probably back inside in about 15 to 20 minutes. 15, came inside. And guess where they were? On the couch, on the iPad, and on my phone. And I'm like, I went in and I was making fun of him. I was like, let's go outside, Dad. Like, let's get our clothes on, Dad. Now, when I grew up, I mean, I was outside, man. Anybody, anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, I was outside. My mom and dad had to scream to get us to come back inside. How many had parents like that? How many were those parents? You, your, your kids were outside. I mean, I was out there, man. I was, and I grew up in the hood of Southern Illinois over in Peneyville, where I'm talking about in the alleys and neighborhoods and stuff like that. We were out there, and we had made up football leagues that we were a part of, and we were having basketball tournaments, and we were having WWF wrestling events on the on the trampoline over at the neighbor's house, our, our house. We used to move the trampoline, I kid you not, underneath a giant tree that we had in the backyard so that we could jump off of the tree and, su and, all, and, and do a splash on top of somebody who's laying there and pretending like they're a wrestler. We even moved it next to the house one day to jump off of the house. That's fun until you spring off of it, land on your back, and you get the wind knocked out of you, and you, that's dying, right? Like when you get the wind knocked out of you. Amen. That, we were outside. When I was a kid, my mom and dad had to drag us back inside. We, I lived during the era like, hey, when the streetlights are on, that's, when, that's your cue to come back home. Which is really, I think about it now, it's kind of like a gray area because the, you come home at 8 o'clock, the streetlights are still on, right? Parents need to be a little bit more specific. <laughs> right when they come on, you need to be home. So my kids are, are a great example of how some of us can, can get in, a, in our own journey with God. When, whenever you are in your own spiritual journey, it is actually more natural and very easy for us to get stuck, for us to get comfortable. When I see my kids wrapped in a blanket in a warm house with their favorite snacks, playing their favorite game, and I come and I say, let's go outside, guys, I, and, and, and they've got every reason to go, I'm pretty good here, Dad. Like, I, I, everything's good right now. I'm pretty good. 
And that's life, isn't it? Now, there are some seasons where you are, I believe you're passionate about life and you're passionate about pursuing all kinds of uh, different avenues and aspects and experiences and exploring. Some of us have personalities like that. And there are some of us that have personalities that are a, a, a bit more steady, a bit more consistent, a bit more predictable, if you will. But I'd like to talk not this morning just about your personality, not just about your hobbies of what you like to go and do and experience. I'd like to talk to you this morning about your spiritual condition. It is easy for us in life to get comfortable, to get stuck, to find ourselves in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a place where we're just comfortable. Without even knowing it, we end up living with the same view, looking at life through the same lens, the same perspective, the same concepts of God, if you will. And before you know it, we find ourselves inside. We find ourselves indoors, but it's, it's I, I don't know, life happens. Life happens. Now, it depends on your age, and I don't mean to insult you this morning, but the older that you get, the easier it is to stay inside the tent. The easier it gets to stay indoors, if you will. The easier it gets to, quite frankly, enjoy the predictable and enjoy what you can count on. Can I ask a question? And this is a simple question. And again, I don't mean to insult you, but when's the last time you changed your mind in relationship to your faith journey? When's the last time you actually said, no, I don't, I don't think that anymore. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the resurrection and the life. We understand this morning the established, immovable pillars of theology. But our understanding of God and his grace and his goodness, I believe, should be ever growing. I don't know about you, but I want, I don't want to be an I know person my whole life. I don't want to be an I know, I know, I know, I know all about that. I don't want to be that person throughout my whole journey. And I believe that, I think that as we move into a new year, maybe we can use that as an excuse to become a listener this year and a learner this year. Someone who says, hey, hey, maybe there's more for me to learn. Maybe there's more for me to know about life and about God and about faith and about the human existence. See, I think the definition of old is when you stop growing. That's all. When you stop growing. Now, I, I, I don't know. I don't want to get old. I want to get better when I'm 70. I want to get better when I'm 75, Lord willing. I, I, I want to stay young, and I believe that that's possible by staying humble and learning and listening and growing. I, I don't know about you, but I want to grow every day in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as Peter instructed us. 
And I'm, I got some feedback on the live feed. Hey, you're getting a double bonus this morning. Hey, but easier said than done, right? I want to grow. I want to learn. I want to stretch myself. Easier said than done. I suppose. Why? Because life happens. We just read Genesis 15. And there's a key portion found right there in verse number one. After these things. After these things. After these things. After these things. What things? Well, before Genesis 15, you have Genesis 14. And before 14, you have 13. And before 13, you have... Okay. There's Genesis 12. Flip all the way back to Genesis 12. God essentially says the same thing that he just said to Abram in Genesis 15. In Genesis 12 is the first time that God, in the form of a vision, the scripture says, come to Abram, comes to Abram and says, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to make your name great, and I'm going to make you great. Now, at the time, Abraham's like, sweet. He's like, this is, uh, this is cool. Like, okay, God, so when are we going to do this? In like a couple months? Like, when are you gonna make when are you gonna make me great? When is this gonna be? Like, when is this gonna come to pass? And as the time would pass, by the time we get to Genesis 15, we believe that that's at least 16 years later. This is how we get stuck. This is how we get comfortable because God says something, and other people say something, and we get our hopes up. And nothing happens. So what do we do? We conclude that God just helps those who help themselves. That that's all that it is. And nothing is really going to change unless I change it myself. And so we have this mindset that I'm just going to get mine while the getting's good. I, I'm going to go and I'm going to help myself because God has not done anything for me lately. And before we know it, you know what we do? We put God inside of a little box, and we say, this is how he works. This is how he moves. This is how he blesses people over here. This is tradition. This is formality. This is positive thinking. Meanwhile, back in reality, we're going to help ourselves. Back in reality, I'm going to handle my business. Because God told Abram, I'm going to make you great, essentially in Genesis 12. Then he said this in Genesis 13, same thing. I'm really going to make you great. And then 16 years later, he meets Abram in a tent. Now let me ask you, let me ask you a question. Can anybody blame Abram for just kicking it in his tent? Can anybody blame Abram for just hanging out in his tent? Can anybody blame this guy for, for, for just sitting there in his tent? By the way, from Genesis 12, do you know essentially the first word that God gives Abram? Out! Go. And Abram's like, cool, cool. That's just like God. God. God's like, go. And he's like, all right, come on, go. We're going to go. And he's like, Abram's walking like, this is amazing. This is incredible. 
God, I'm going. Where are we going? And the further he walks and the years pass by, God, this is amazing. Where are we going? I don't understand. God, this is great. And the pattern continues. Where are we going? This is exhausting. Where, where are we going? This is frustrating. Anybody ever been in a waiting period before? <laughs> what do we know? We know that life happens. Maybe it doesn't take 16 years for you. Maybe it's six months. Maybe it's a year. Maybe it's a year and a half. God, nothing has changed. Where are we going? You have to understand. You have to understand Abram's circumstance. He doesn't have as bad an attitude as you think he does. Abram is convinced in, in years, he, he will live to be approximately 175 years old. So let's put that in context. But nonetheless, by the time we get to Genesis 15, he is in his later 70s, possibly 80s. He's old, even, even by, if we do it as through ancient standards, this is an old man, and he is telling God. Now listen, he's had three messages from God. And what were they? What were them? I'm going to make you great. I'm going to, in fact, Genesis 14, he says that I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the dust on the ground. And by the time we get to Genesis 15, he says, count the stars. God is saying, dust, stars. The point is, I'm going to give you more descendants than you can comprehend or even count. Now, back to reality. He doesn't even have one child. Many descendants. He let alone doesn't have any descendants. Now, before you go, man, I'm getting out of my tent, Bryce. I don't know what's wrong with I don't get it. I'll tell you what's wrong with Abraham. Life. God's told him three times, I'm going to give you descendants beyond their capacity to even comprehend. And by the time we get to Genesis 15, 16 years has taught Abram, hey, when it comes to dreams, when it comes to prayer requests, you know what it taught him? Make them small, make them manageable. So what's his prayer? What's his prayer? One baby. One child. He said, I don't want to hear anything about dust. I don't want to hear anything about stars. I don't want to hear anything about millions of descendants. I don't want to hear any of that. I just want one child. And friend, if you can't relate to that kind of emotion, just follow Jesus for another six months. Just follow him for another year. I hope this is okay this morning. I'm being completely transparent with you and, and honest with you. If you can't understand that kind of emotion, listen, following Jesus sometimes, there's a lot of unknown. There's a lot of time where you're wondering and you're, and you're asking, just like Abraham, where are we going? What are we doing? And it gets frustrating. The disparity 
God, you say you want to, God, you say you want to change the world. God, but I can't even get a friend to come visit my church. God, you want us to grow and have revival in Sparta, but we can't even win an auction bid for a building that is everything that we would ever need. God, you want to do all of this. I know you've got all of these dreams for us, and I read in your word about all of these amazing things that happen to people, but meanwhile, back to reality. And before we know it, life has a way of teaching us Calm down. Relax. Don't get your hopes up. Don't hold your breath. Be realistic. So God comes a third time and he says, hey, um, Abram, and I'm just going to paraphrase. He says, Abram, I'm going to make you great. And your reward is going to be very great. Now, God, see... God just sees stuff different. Think about this. God is telling Abram that he's going to be great, and Abram's not even good. I'm going to make you great, and Abram's not even okay. Now, that's how God will work. And God will start speaking to you that you're going to do great things. And some of us respond with, God, I would settle for just okay things right now. God, I would settle for just mediocre things right now. God, I would just settle for the mundane. There's this massive disparity in what God is saying and what it seems like he's doing. God seems to be saying And you say, well, how does God say? Well, I believe God will give you a sense. There are people in this room right now, you got a sense that you're supposed to believe God for great things. Now, we can spend uh, plenty of time defining what greatness is and what greatness is all about. Greatness is not a dollar amount. Greatness is not the amount of followers that we have on social media. Greatness is uh, maybe if we can boil it down on a very simplistic level. Greatness is um, being consistent, being a consistent mom or a consistent dad. Being a consistent son or a daughter. But yet you have a sense that God wants to do big things so that he can influence and affect a lot of people. And yet what God is saying and what God is doing just seems different. And so God says this to Abram. And then Abram gives us actually a natural response. Now what I love about Abram, what he does here is it starts with, this is the first time we see this in the Old Testament. He, he, he stands and he's like, oh, Lord. God, Lord God, that's not yet seen in Scripture. It's the first mention. And what this tells me is Abram's got some stuff to share, but you know what he's decided to do about it? He's decided to put it in a prayer, which is what I highly recommend you do if you're going to talk to God, right? So he turns his complaints and his requests into a prayer. He says, oh, Lord God, I'm addressing you. I'm not going to go and complain to Sarah. I'm not complaining to nobody else, but I'm going to complain to you right now. He says, what in fact will you give me? For I continue not to have a single child. Verse 
And watch this. He goes on to say, and the heir of my house is Eliezer. Anybody know what Eliezer means? Anybody know what that name means? This is what it means. God helped. God helped. I love this. This is, this is exactly how it happens. In other words, Lord, you have done nothing for me, but you keep helping that guy over there. You haven't blessed me, but you're sure blessing them over there. You haven't answered me, but you've answered them over there. You're sure helping that guy. And that is so easy to come across in this life. And you live long enough in community with God, worshipers and people that follow Jesus. And there are going to be those seasons where you're like, are you serious, God? Because you are surely helping Eleazar, and you haven't given me one child. And I've lived long enough to know what that feels like. You got all these promises for me, God, and all these great things that I'm supposed to do, and I'm supposed to just lift up my eyes and believe big things, and yet you you just keep helping him or her, and you can't even give me one child. And Abram continues. He says, behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my house is going to inherit everything. Now watch this, what happens in verse 4. Verse 4, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. Now, if I'm God, which I am completely not, if I'm God, right, if I'm God and Abram says this to me, I'm going to be like, excuse me, right? I mean, I'm going to let him know who is God and who is not God. That's if I'm God. Like, you come up to me with this attitude, you come up to me with this. I, if I was God, all of a sudden, I'd just take his breath away just for a couple seconds. Like, you want it back? I can give it back if you want it back. Like, what did you say to me? You're ta- But the beautiful part of it, God does not rebuke him. And that tells you something about our gracious God. God does not say, Abram, do you know who you are talking to. God does not say, hey, buddy, I breathe and galaxies and solar systems begin to exist just because I breathe. They don't exist, but then I speak and they do. The molecules obey me. Man, who do you think you are? I mean, sometimes you kind of want to see God flex on people in the scripture. Like you read the story of Moses, I'm like, he's about to blow you up. And God does. Sometimes you're reading the story and you want God to just flex on somebody. You want him to flex on Abram. Let him know God. Let him know you're the God. God, don't do it to me, but you can do it to Abram. (laughs) Right? Don't flex on me, God. Flex on him. God doesn't rebuke him. Actually, 
God's straight answer is almost commending him. Let me let you in on a little secret. Talking about the power of complaining and and, the power of being grateful. Abram on record, at least in this setting, doesn't complain to another person. He takes this complaint to God, which becomes a, a prayer, and God is good with that. The problem becomes, here's what, here's what you and I do sometimes. Here's what you do when you complain. When you complain to other people, the problems, the, the fault, the air, the brokenness, the, the, the brokenness of complaining is complaining, hear me right now, uses all of your energy that you have to criticize what is currently happening in your life. And what you're left with is zero energy to dream for something greater, to believe for something greater. You waste all of that energy talking about how God, he didn't do it. He didn't come through. And I wish I could. And I heard about so-and-so being blessed, and instead of celebrating others, we complained about others, the Eliezer's, the Eliezer's, the Eliezer's, and you can't catch a break, and you want to let everybody know in your circle that you can't catch a break, and you go home exhausted with no virtue. You go home worn out with nothing left to dream about. But what gratitude does, it acknowledges and it accepts what is. As challenging as it may be, God, I know it hasn't happened yet. I'm still here in the waiting. God, I know I don't see you working just right now, but I'm thankful that I'm still alive. Gratitude, it accepts and acknowledges what is, and it allows you now to have energy to dream about what could be. Church, don't fall. Don't fall. Complaining will zap your energy. You are hurting yourself. But God doesn't rebuke Abram. He says, that's, that's not going to happen here. And right after that, look at the next verse. It says this, that he brought him outside. Everybody say outside. He says, now up until this point, he's saying, we've had a conversation within the limited context of your tent. God's saying, but I'm going to take you outside. I'm going to take you outside, Abram, of your limited context to see how I see. It says that he brought him outside. He said, look toward heaven. So now Abraham, Abram's looking toward heaven. He's looking up at the sky. He's seeing everything. I mean, just look at his posture for a second. A second ago, they were having a prayer complaining session, and Abram was inside his tent. I don't have a kid. I don't have a kid. I don't have a kid. All his perspective was inside the tent. Look at this, God. Look at everything around me. Look at this. Look at that. I don't have a kid. Look at this. You're blessing him. You're not blessing me. His perspective was inside. 
What he could see was inside the tent. It was a very limited view. And it says that he brought him outside. Look at the change of posture, which I believe is speaking to our spiritual condition. And for whatever reason, Abram feels prompted and he comes outside. And look at his posture. God says, count him if you can. Count the stars if indeed you can. And, 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 and we don't know. I don't know. Did Abraham start going one, two, three? Wait just a second. This is impossible. We don't know. We don't know what he did. Was he good at math? We don't know. Was it, why, we don't know whether, but I wonder if that posture change of coming outside of the tent, away from his limited view, and seeing everything how God sees it. I wonder if there's such significance behind that. Can I make just a few observations? I might be in a tent in my own limited context if, number one, I find myself complaining to others a lot. You say, Bryce, how do I know if I've assumed that posture? How do I know if I've assumed that position? How do I know if I'm living my life where it's manageable and my requests are just simple and small? God, take what I can. Take, take what I can, God. For 16 years, I believed you. And nothing happened. So I've learned to just sit here. I've learned to just, and I'm happy right here. And I'm, I'm good with this. How do you know if this is what you've settled for? I think the first thing is instead of complaining to God, we end up complaining to others. And it just kind of gives you away, friends. That you are so predisposed uh, with what God hasn't done. You've stopped believing that he still could do something greater in the future. I think another thing is um, God brings Abram out and he says, look towards, look towards heaven. You know, sometimes when we are co so caught up on something, the big picture doesn't matter to us all that much. I think in our day and age that there are a lot of people that have lost sight of eternity. You might still be caught up in this tent if you rarely consider eternity. What did God say when you talk? When you, when you talk to him, you should start it like this. Our Father who art, which to me is to say our Father who lives outside of time and space, which is coming to an end. Our Father who lives outside of what is ending and lives where there is no end. And when we go to him, our Father, I believe that you and I are supposed to let that at least sink in and soak in for just a minute. What matters this morning? I'll tell you what matters. Ultimately, what matters, it was last forever. That's what matters. What lasts forever. And then lastly, it says that he brought him outside. If our music would come this morning, outside, he brought him 
He brought him outside. You and I might be in the tent today. Hear me right now. We might be in a tent today if we think that we can pull off this life without God. You might be limiting yourself, but he brought him outside. Isn't it interesting? Couldn't he have just asked Abram to walk outside? Why is the scripture so definitive that he brought him outside? He brought him outside. Now look toward heaven. Count them if you're able, if you're able, if you're able, if you're able, if you're able. You might be in a tent this morning if you're able to do your own plans. If you're able to pull off your own dreams. If you're able. But you might be outside today in the unknown possibilities of God if you recognize there ain't no way that I'm pulling this off unless God does it in me and through me. There ain't no way. Abram goes from inside his tent to standing on the outside, on the outside, on the outside, and all of a sudden he's like, okay, I believe. Abram, why do you believe? I believe. Yeah, but it's been 16 years. It's been 16 long years and nothing. And the Bible says this, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Flip over to the New Testament, and Romans is going to pick up on this because this is the whole story, I believe, in six verses. Now, in this moment... The, the camera sort of pans out the moment that the word righteousness is used. And all of a sudden, do you remember the song, Father Abraham? Father, Father Abraham and many sons, many sons, I, and I am one of them, and I'm one of them, and I'm one of them. You know where that comes from? Romans chapter 4. Abraham, who is the father of many nations, right, and he will now be called the father of our faith which is to say he is the first who received right relationship with God. Not based on what he had done, but based on what he had received. And all of a sudden, if you let the camera come out just a little bit more and you look at the big picture of what's happening, God is telling us the point of the whole earth. In this story, it's all here. Because Abram in his tent is a picture of humanity within himself and within myself. I do not have the power to save myself 
or make anything of my life eternal. I am doomed within myself, for the Bible says all have sinned, and they've fallen short of his glorious standard, which is to say that we are all lost and dead in our sin, in our old tent, and I cannot save myself. I cannot muster up enough energy to save me in my air and in my sin. I am doomed, church, to live inside my tent unless there is a gracious God who will come and meet me where I am. Unless there is a gracious God who will come and meet me in the tent, who will come and meet me in my air and meet me in my weakness and in my brokenness. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. All of us are lost in our little lives trying to just get one kid. And God says, I want to make you great. I want to transform your life. And God brought him outside. Stand with me this morning. God brought him outside. He brought him outside. Can I say it like this? He brought him outside of himself. God brought him outside of himself. See, I don't know. I, I, I didn't know that I needed a Savior until God met me and showed me. God brought Abram outside and said, look up, look up, look up. Do you see it? Look up. Abram walks out and his posture changes and he's looking up. He's saying, you did all this. You did all this, God. You made everything. And you met me. And you had a conversation with me. I'm telling you, something happened on that sorry night. Now, I want you to hear me right now. The same God who brought you out of your sin and brought you out of your past, the same God who brought Abram out is the same God who brought you out. I believe that the same God that brought you out is the same God that will bring you out again and again and again to restore hope in your heart to believe he can still do great things. He can still do great things. He can do it all again. I'm telling you, church, you can believe him this morning for greater things. I don't believe that God saves you and then leaves you. He doesn't save you just so you can exist. No, no, no. He saved you with a purpose and a plan. And just as sure as he had a purpose for Abram, he has a purpose and a plan for you. And so if that plan this morning has been delayed, if that plan has been distorted, if your faith today is waning and you find yourself with an inability to expect something great from God because so much time has passed now. It's been a long time since I heard the word, since I heard the promise. It's been years. It's been a while. 
I want to remind you that if he brought you out once, he can do it again. So what I say is, let's get outside. Let's get outside. Let's, let's, let's believe him for the miraculous again. Let's believe him for the supernatural again. Hey, we may not be in a new building right now, but let's get outside. Let's believe him for the miraculous. Hey, you may not be sitting next to those lost family members in this building right now, but get outside of that thinking that says they're never going to be saved. Get outside and see how God sees Get outside. Get outside. You can do great things. This church can do great things. We can do amazing things. We can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or even think or even imagine. God, help us to get outside. Would you lift your hands with me right now and your voices and maybe would you just be sensitive to the voice of the Lord? Thank you for listening. Special thanks to those that give generously to this ministry. If you would like more information, please visit our website at landmarkapostolicchurch.net. But have a great day and God bless.